comedian told a story about a driver who wrote a note and placed it under the windshield of a parked vehicle. The note read, I have just smashed into your car. The people who saw the accident are watching me. They think I'm writing down my name and address. I'm not good luck. <laughs> Outwardly, Abner looked like a strong leader. He looked the part, he was an alpha leader. Alpha leaders tend to be ambitious, very determined, very persuasive. This was Abner. In a godly person, those traits are very good. Those traits tend to glorify God and be a blessing to others. But in a carnal person, those traits eventually cause much more harm than good. That was Abner's problem. He was a carnal man. Men like Abner who are very strong, leaders like Abner who are very strong, very confident, very outspoken, very self-assured, they're very influential and people tend to blindly trust them and blindly follow them, not really knowing who they really are. Not really knowing their, the essence of their real character, if you would, until God removes their blinders and begins to reveal the real person that they've been following all this time. To see who he really is, who she really is. The blinders for Ishbosheth are coming off here in 2 Samuel chapter 3. This morning, we're going to begin. We won't finish this. I thought we could, but I wouldn't. I would be cutting too many corners if we tried to fit all this in today. But this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at traits of the carnal. And as we look at these traits, my heart for myself, my heart for you, is that as we examine these traits, is that our desire would be to say, you know what, I want no part of that. I, I want no part of that in my life. I do not want that to be associated with my testimony. And not only that, I have no interest in walking with those who are like this. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So what's happening here, or what was happening here from a doctrinal perspective, from a doctrinal perspective, God was working to set up the throne of David not just over Judah, but over all of Israel. And that would be a foreshadowing of the millennial rule and reign of the son of David, Jesus Christ. And just like this time, there will be war that precedes the kingdom that Christ is going to set up and rule and reign in for a thousand years. But this is why the house of David was waxing stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul was waxing weaker and weaker. But would you notice the verbiage of verse 1? Notice very carefully what we read. Notice what we get here. 
he refers to the house of David and the house of Saul. Not the house of Ishbosheth. Saul's dead. Abner has made Ishbosheth king, but the word of God doesn't say the house of Ishbosheth. Very interesting. See, Abner made Ishbosheth king, not God. God didn't recognize this. God did not recognize Ishbosheth as the king over his people. This is why Saul's house was waxing weaker and weaker. But Abner divided a nation and he influenced war. Again, men like this, people like this, they're very influential. They're very loud, they're very boisterous, they're very determined, they're very self-willed and all of that. And they can get people to follow them even if it is wrong. Sadly, division is easier to achieve than unity, isn't it? It just is. We said that last week. David sought peace with the men of Jabez Gilead. He sought peace. He sought unity with them. But when Abner made Isbosheth king, one of the territories that he was king over was Gilead. Gilead was a large area just east of the Jordan River, and Jabesh was a city in Gilead. David offered them peace and unity. Abner offered them division and war. They followed Abner. So from the time of his installation of, as king in Judah, David's house was at war with Saul's. Let me give you a critical takeaway, though. God's will cannot be overruled by human will. It can't. Men like Abner are arrogant enough to believe that they can disregard whatever God says and ultimately succeed. This is how arrogant they are. That I, 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 I can know what God says, and I can write that off, I can excuse myself from it, I can say, here's why I am the exception to the biblical rule, I know what your word says. I know what you desire, but I'm not going to do that. And God, you're going to have to just live with it. And they really think they can succeed. But what you get here in verse one is what's happening is, is this agenda is waxing weaker and weaker and weaker, and it's about to crumble. Verse two, and unto David were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, and the fifth, Shepatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ethram, by Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. Now, 
First Chronicles chapter three records the six sons that are listed here, plus 13 more sons, a daughter, and a number of sons of David's concubines that were born in Jerusalem at this time. And there are some names that we just read that are going to be a major problem for David later. But David would have known that his house was waxing stronger and stronger. He would have known that Saul's house was waxing weaker and weaker. He would have known that Abner's carnal, diabolical agenda was crumbling. He would have known that. And what does he do? Multiplies wives and concubines. You and I are so vulnerable in times of blessings. We leave the back door open to our lives. We give place to the devil. And that victory that God is giving us, that blessing that God is showering us with, we set the table for a massive collapse. The table is being set right here. Not just here. We saw it before we get here. We're going to see it again. By the time we get to chapter 11 where it collapsed, we're going to say, oh yeah, you can see it coming. <laughs> the road to major collapse is always paved with little compromises. Those little things that we think, yeah, I know this isn't right. I know this doesn't please the Lord, but you know what? It's not this over here, and it's not that over there. And, and look, God is still blessing me, and God is still using me, so hey, who's perfect? Deuteronomy 17, 17, regarding kings, which David was at this time, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. We all struggle, we all struggle we do to not view mercy as permission to continue in our sin, don't we? Another critical takeaway, God's will cannot be overruled by human weakness. Despite David's weakness, God still set the throne of David up here in 2 Samuel chapter 3, and God would go on to make the covenant with David in chapter 7. But this brings us to be able to focus now on the traits of the carnal. We go back to verse 6 and look at the end of it. That Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. In chapter 2, verse 9, Abner made something. He made Ithbosheth king. And here in chapter 3, verse 6, he made himself strong for the house of Saul. Listen, Isbosheth, as you know by now, essentially was Abner's puppet. That's what he was. Abner was really calling the shots. He was. But the first trait that we observe about the carnal, and it is one that, uh, listen, <laughs> we are all vulnerable to ascribe to. Uh, it is in 
your carnal wiring, uh, you have, I mean, you are predisposed to this. So am I. Carnal people, listen, they are self-willed. They are self-willed. Someone who is self-willed is all about their will, not God's. They are determined to do them. They are determined to do their thing. Uh, They are preoccupied, obsessed with what they desire, what they want. They do not care about God's ways, and they don't care about what God says. And in that, here's what they expose. And, and And I really, I want you to hear this, and I need to hear this because... God forbid that anyone in this room right now would be self-willed, but if you are, here's what you expose. And this is very dangerous. What you expose here is something that ultimately sets the stage for you to war with God, and let me tell you up front, you're going to lose decisively. A self-willed person has no fear of God. They don't. They do not fear God. They do not fear God, and so they are very bold to disregard His Word. They're very bold in their disobedience. Essentially daring God to do something. How dare you? What are you going to do? Listen, Abner knew what God's will was for David regarding reigning over all of Israel, but his lack of fear of God just empowered him to say, I'm going to do my thing. Parents, this is why in those early critical training years, you must break the will, not the spirit, of that child. You have to break their will. Let me tell you why. A self-willed child, listen very carefully, a self-willed child will eventually rebel against God. And they will do so directly. They will be like Abner. I'm going to disobey you. I'm going to do it in your face, and I dare you to stop me. This is why you have to catch that window. You've got to, and a child, every child is going to show you that. And you have to show them. When you willingly exercise your will, when you choose to exercise rebellion, I will make it my business for your benefit. I will win. I will win. You will not rebel in my home. You have to win that one, parents. Self-willed only appears twice in Scripture. Both are associated with leadership. Titus 1, verse 7. For a bishop, a pastor, must be blameless, as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. A self-willed man is disqualified 
from the office of pastor. Why is that? Because a self-willed man is going to lead God's people according to his will, not God's. Very dangerous. Second Peter 2 and verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. This portion of 2 Peter chapter 2 deals with false teachers and false prophets, leaders. But look at the associations of the trait of being self-willed here in this verse. Walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. This is sexual perversion. We're going to see this show up right here in Abner. Despise government, presumptuous, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. That's spiritual leadership all the way up to God himself. These people are very bold. No fear of God will say and do anything. God, bring it on. You do not want this trait, nor do you want to walk with those who are self-willed. No, thank you. Because wherever your friends are going, they're taking you with them. And I'm telling you, the destination for the self-willed is not a vacation. Here's what our desire should be every day. It was the heart of Christ. May it be mine, may it be yours, John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Do you know what God's will is for you? When you open your eyes in the morning and you get up and you park yourself at the feet of his word and you open it and you open your heart and you open your mind. You know what God's going to do? God's going to make it crystal clear what his will is for you that day. He's going to speak. God says, you you want to know what I want? You want to know what I desire? I'll tell you what, you sit at my feet, I will tell you. I will show you. And when you receive that, guess what? Oh my goodness, the peace, the joy, the contentment, the unity, the victory that will show up in your life will absolutely change your life. But oh my goodness, if you're like Abner, and your mind's made up, you know what's right, you know what you're going to do, and whatever, whatever, okay. I love you, but let me tell you, that is why you are absolutely miserable. Miserable. You're fighting a war that you've already lost before you took your first swing. You can't win with God. When you're at war with him over whose will your life is going to be about. The house of Saul was waxing weaker and weaker. When you go against God's will, guess what happens in your life? Your life waxes weaker and weaker and weaker. 
Verse 7. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? So concubine and children born to them in the Old Testament had a lower status, if you would. But to have sexual relations with the concubine of a king was basically an attack on his throne. And in doing this, Abner revealed a few things. Number one, he revealed that he really had no respect for Saul at all. That's the first thing. Here's the other thing he revealed. He really wanted the throne himself. And the first step to taking the throne was taking Saul's concubine. Remember, his name means father of light. What was it that Satan, who is an angel of light, what was it that he desired? The throne. What is it that the Antichrist is going to do during the tribulation? He's going to sit in the temple showing himself what? He wants the throne. Here's the other observation about the carnal. They are sinful. They are sinful. I understand in the flesh we all are. What we're talking about is someone who walks in a carnal way. Their walk is carnal. It's who they are. And when you're carnal, what we're talking about now is that your life is dominated by the desires of your flesh. Abner had a desire for power and sex. He did. And he did not deprive himself of either. How many times have we seen this movie in leadership? In the corporate world, I wish you could stop there. It's not just high-powered executives who have a lust for power and sex. Uh, we see it in the church, don't we? Where God has, over the years, we've all, we, we've seen it. We've been horrified by God pulling the curtains back to see how a pastor was living. We had a power, who had an appetite for power and for sex. This is the testimony of men like Abner, Philippians 3, verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. The enemies of the cross of Christ were leaders who were trying to lead others astray. Paul said, their God is their belly. What do you mean by that? They live for the gratification of the flesh. Whatever the flesh desires, whatever the flesh perceives to be gratifying, there are no limits, there are no lines. I withhold myself from nothing. This, was, uh, this, is very, uh, uh, this is very hedonistic, if you would. This is Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where I did not withhold myself from anything that I thought would give me pleasure. And how'd that work out? Well... We're going to see where he learned that ultimately. But that was Abner. 
If I can take you back to something that we looked at in 1 Peter, particularly when we were going through that, it represents what we should be about here in chapter 4, verse 2 of 1 Peter, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Let that be your desire. That, Lord, however many days, years I have left in this flesh, let it not be about what this flesh wants. Let it be about what you want, the will of God. Verse 8. Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Isbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head? which against Judah you show kindness this day unto the house of Saul, thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? Well, Ishbosheth officially just got the memo. The memo was, just so you know, Ishbosheth, you're really not the king I am. <laughs> you don't have the right to uh, correct me. You don't have the right to question me. I'm really in charge. In sleeping with Saul's concubine, Abner revealed not only what he thought of Saul, but he revealed what he thought about Ishbosheth which wasn't very high. Ultimately, Abner did not think highly of anyone except Abner. This is the thing about carnal people. They are obsessed with themselves. As my pastor often says, if I can borrow the expression, uh, carnal people are me monsters. Their thinking never ever drifts away from right here. Everything, every conversation, every situation, you name it, from their perspective, they are looking at it from the perspective of how does this affect me? How does it benefit me? What's in it for me? They are obsessed with themselves. And when something doesn't go their way, they are a victim. They are never wrong. They, they, they blame others all the time. They are obsessed with themselves. Drunk on themselves. You ready? Here's the third observation about the carnal. They are selfish. They are selfish. Selfish, man. Am I a dog's head? He asked rhetorically. Uh, dogs were uh, viewed as they were despised and uh, unclean beasts. Is that what you're calling me? Is that how you're treating me? Especially. He was expressing how insulted he was by being questioned by his king, right? His spiritual authority. 
How dare you talk to me like that? Don't you know who I am? But in that, he exposed his true motives, his true colors, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David. In other words, in other words, as Bashith, if it wasn't for me, you would be under David if it wasn't for me. See, I made you king. Wow. And guess what Abner was conveying in that? I made you king Ishbosheth because that was best for me. Had nothing to do with you. You were just a pawn on the board, bro. I mean, you know by now, I'm the one, I've been controlling all the, the strings, right? Listen, carnal people <laughs> do nothing with pure motives. They do nothing with pure motives. I mean nothing. Everything they do, there's something in it for them. There's some selfish, carnal incentive. And in the moment, man, they'll, they'll put on the face and they'll say all the right words. But when it comes down to it, when it is advantageous for them, they let you know, here's why I really did that. Man, they will throw it in your face you then realize, oh, I didn't know I was indebted to you. Yes, you are. Consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Alms just refers to charitable giving. Money, food, clothes. When the Pharisees did alms, they did so to be seen of men, and they broadcasted it in the streets, in the synagogues. They made sure you knew what they had done. Why? That they may have glory of men. Jesus says, when you give, Man, the right hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. In other words, it is done in such secrecy where not even the right hand knows what this hand is doing. That's how we give. That's how we serve. Over the years, men like Abner in Baptist churches have reminded pastors and deacons 
how much they have given financially and how much they give financially. And in those moments, uh, they did that and they do that to let you know you might hold the title pastor, but because of my checkbook, I'm the one calling the shots. And you better make sure you know that. I wish I was exaggerating. You'll want to make sure that I'm pleased with the decisions that are being made here. You want to make sure you run things by me to make sure I approve. Because if I don't, those dollars that are flowing, they could stop. So you want to think carefully. I am not the only ordained pastor in this room right now. And the way that we approach ministry here, in terms of one of our core ministry principles that we're always training leaders, so leadership development is a really big deal at Midtown. It is very possible that there are some men in this room who may be ordained someday. To all of you, let me say this. A pastor can never allow himself to be held hostage by the biggest giver in the church. You will not hold me hostage. No. <laughs> you can take your dollars elsewhere. And you can never be afraid of the strongest personality in the room. You will not bulldoze me. You will not intimidate me. You will not bully me. One of the things that we're going to walk into as we walk through this, you know what? Ishbosheth was afraid of Abner. <laughs> he was afraid of him. Fellas, you can't lead like that. <laughs> oh no, you cannot. If you do, if you let the Abners of the world dominate you and bully you and intimidate you and run roughshod over you, all you'll have is the title. My pastor taught me years ago, I understand what he meant now. <laughs> if you fire, I'm going to empty the clip. Be careful. Be careful. This is Abner. An appetite for power. Listen, I, I, I'm not, this isn't tough talk. This isn't, be careful, don't mess with me. All I'm saying is, Abner's agenda was diabolical. And when that's the approach, you're going to lose. When it comes to serving and giving, unlike Abner, here's what we must be mindful of. Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other 
better than themselves. Nothing is to be done through strife or vainglory. When we do anything through vainglory, you know what we're doing? We are doing it for our glory. We're doing it for our glory. Let me ask you, why do you give what you give? And why do you do what you do? Is it for your glory or his? Lord, thank you for what we have seen this morning in your word. May we hide it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.